What a week. Wow. A wild week of twists and turns in the news. Whoo. In other words, Sonia, just another seven days in Las Vegas. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So today on CityCast Las Vegas, I am here with host David Figler. Hello, David. Hi, Sonia. Hi, Scott. Hey, David. Yes, Sonia. and newsletter editor Scott Dickensheets. Happy to be here, clinging to sanity after another week in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? Aren't we all? It's Friday, September 30th, 2022. I'm Sonia Cho Swanson, and this is CityCast Las Vegas. We just learned that the bomber who escaped prison has been found. So, Scott, give us the full download. Who Who is this person and what happened? Well, his name is Porfiro Duarte Herrera. He was in prison out at uh, Indian Springs for the 2007 pipe bombing that killed a man in the Luxor parking garage. And it turns out he had escaped sometime Friday-ish. And that news was not reported until Tuesday-ish. And there are several interesting facts about this. According to some reports, he used acid to soften the bars of his cell so that he could remove them and used a cardboard cutout of himself to, I guess, you know, fool people into thinking he was there and used a, a jacket that he had made while in prison to sort of get over the barbed wire fencing. And then, wow, this is the stuff of movies. Right, right, right. It definitely... He, he's Shawshank right the heck out of there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, obviously a, a manhunt mobilized and endless number of commentators quoted the Tommy Lee Jones speech from The Fugitive. And <laughs> the money for information leading to his capture kept growing. His attorney pleaded for him to return. And then he was finally apprehended Wednesday evening in Las Vegas, somewhere near, I think, Eastern and Owens, having bought a mm -hmm. bus ticket uh, with the intention of going to Mexico. At least that's according to the Metro, uh, what Metro has been saying. So that's the sort of the narrative cycle of it. Now, of course, things turn to the larger questions about accusations of operational oversights and inefficiencies. And obviously, the real big question, of course, is how long until his face appears in an ad by a pro Lombardo super PAC? So uh, I think that's what's you know on everybody's mind now. Who's setting the line? Who's doing the over under on that? <laughs> oh, the bookmakers are out because it's a it's almost a sure bet. Okay, so what's interesting to me about this is that if he escaped Friday, how was the fact of his departure not discovered until Tuesday? What's going on here, David? You have some experience with NDOC, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah, I'm I'm probably not coming to this as a, a person untainted with no knowledge of NDOC's operations over the last couple of years, for sure. I don't think that the current appointee as the head of the prisons, basically, a man named Charles Daniels, is fit to do the job. I'm not alone in that assessment anymore, because just a matter of a couple of weeks ago, his own staff penned a letter uh, that said he is, in fact, wow. unstable and unfit to continue to supervise. And this is after a string of reported upon incidents at the prison. And I'm going to say two years of complaints of mistreatment, bad policy towards the people who are incarcerated, making working conditions for the corrections officers difficult. He handled the COVID pandemic that ravaged uh, and caused uh, 
dozens and dozens of deaths in the prison, poorly from my perspective, all of which up until this very latest gaffe was not really commented on by either the board of prison commissioners who oversee it or the governor who has the ability to both not only appoint, but also fire somebody who is not doing their job well. This has been a Nevada Department of Corrections plagued with scandal and controversy. But, uh, you know, only when someone who has been incarcerated for uh, a murder conviction and, and we could talk real briefly about that murder conviction, uh, does everyone kind of say, oh, what's going on? And then this, of course, delay mm. is something that Governor Sisolak uh, has absolutely jumped on saying, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. I'm going to find out why there is this delay. The delay of informing me and the public was absolutely unacceptable. And whoever is responsible for it will be held accountable. That was a statement that came out from Governor Sisolak. Of course, as, as Scott mentioned, Governor Sisolak is in a race for re-election against current Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department Sheriff Joe Lombardo. And one of the big issues is safety in the community and keeping our, our community safe. And when there's an escaped prisoner, people do react. Now, I have my own position about the level of fear that is requisite for someone who escapes from prison. But putting that aside, the status quo is broken. Someone who everyone assumes uh, is is in prison, is not in prison, um, it causes issues in the community. And speaking of, of the Daniel situation, I mean, the uh, the head of the union that represents the, the guards out there, the correction guards, you know, cited things like understaffing, uh, saying that like some of the, the guard towers relevant to this man's escape were not manned at the time and so on. So even that person is sort of laying it implicitly at, at Daniel's feet. You know, and there have also been a, a number of suicides this year at the prison. And you would presume that with protocols in place that suicides would not occur. Then you also have like even the medical director for the prisons resigned and wow. accusing the, the leadership, which would be the director of prisons of not doing his job correctly. So a lot of controversy swirling around it. On the other end is this sort of political silver platter issue that has now been handed to Metro Sheriff Joe Lombardo in his bid for governor, because, you know, if his narrative before was Steve Sisolak is not keeping you safe, I am the prison director appointed by Steve Sisolak doesn't keep a convicted murderer in custody and presumably, although the details of exactly how he was captured have not been revealed in detail, but presumably Metro mm -hmm. was involved in the apprehension of this gentleman and therefore Lombardo can kind of take the credit for it. So you could see how that would play out. Let me just recap real quick. So we've got a Nevada Department of Corrections chief appointed by Sisolak who leaves major oversights throughout his tenure, which eventually allows this high-profile prison escapee. So minus one for Sisolak here. And then we have Metro supposedly capturing said escapee. So plus one for Lombardo. This is kind of how it maybe pans out in the political discourse. Yeah, and if you look at that, so this was a, a, a bombing that occurred in 2007. And I recall uh, following it closely, as a lot of people did, because it happened on the Strip. And nobody knew initially if this was possibly a bigger terrorism attack or something like that. It turned out to be related to a boyfriend, ex-girlfriend ex situation. And the person who was convicted for the bombing, there actually two, was this individual who escaped. Now, 
at the time of the trial, there were allegations that were raised that he had done other bombings around the community as well, including one at a Home Depot. That didn't come into the trial, but it was discussed at the time, so it was an allegation. And there were also, according to reporting at the time, allegations that this person was not a documented citizen of the United States, that he was a citizen of Mexico. Mm. And, you know, immigration and border security and all that, and its connection to quote-unquote crime, which I think is a false correlation, but one that is out in the discourse, is also something that Lombardo has already been pitching. And, and now here's another silver platter that you have. I could see it being framed as a mad bomber who was convicted hmm. all the way back in 09, who was serving a life sentence in the Nevada Department of Corrections, escaped because Sisolak is soft on crime. And who is this guy? He is, you know, and whatever parlance Lombardo campaigns using about people who you know, come into the country without documentation and play off of that fear as well. I mean, so in your assessment, I think it's actually three for Lombardo and wow. negative three for Sislak. I, I think this could make a difference with the, the voters who really buy into all of those sort of topics of who they're going to elect, yeah, those, those narratives. narratives for sure. Although yeah, one yeah. wonders how many of those were going to be Sisolak voters in the first place. Well... We've got our share of independents and swing, swing voters Absolutely. in the state. So. Well, let me just finish by saying this. The entire prison paradigm, especially in our state, is one that deserves way more scrutiny and way more discourse than we ever, ever uh, apply to it. And in fact, you know, like many places, once someone goes to prison, then that's forgotten about and we don't really care as a community what happens to that person, who they are, until they escape, right? I would hope that this would create better narratives about the prison system. I'm not hopeful that that's going to happen, but I think it will come down to now some sort of two-way political intersection. What's wrong with the prisons as far as keeping the community safe and how can we use this politically? Yeah. So the political football is inevitable. Can this also become a thoughtful discussion? Let's find out. All right, let's move on to our next topic. City council person, city councilwoman Victoria Seaman has filed a lawsuit against Michelle Fiore, city council member. What the heck? Please, David, explain what's been going on, because this is like, you know, we went from like, you know, Shawshank Redemption. Now it's like, I feel like daytime TV drama. Yeah. What the heck? I think nighttime TV drama. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you're asking me to do a summary. It's like doing a summary of all the seasons of Falcon Crest or something. Or and <laughs> Yeah, this is, the, this is the wrong direction to turn for your comment about thoughtful discourse, uh, Sonia. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and not to be too reductive, but maybe even more like the real council women of, of Las Vegas or something yeah, like that. there we go. It's unfortunate set of circumstances, but this goes back years. And the impetus of us talking about it right now is that uh, Las Vegas City Councilwoman Victoria Seaman has filed a civil lawsuit against both her fellow city councilwoman, Michelle Fiore, who is currently a candidate for statewide office, and her own city of Las Vegas related mm. to an incident that occurred way back in January of 2021, where after an obscure meeting that both of the city council representatives were on, Seaman and Fiore, there was 
a dispute that flowed out into the hallway where Seaman now alleges that Michelle Fiore, a well-known Second Right Amendment person, attacked her, like literally attacked her to the extent that she grabbed her, broke her finger, grabbed her by the hair, flung her to the ground. And Victoria Seaman alleges that all this was captured on videotape, which she reviewed with a attorney representing the city and goes through all the details saying, you know, I I was shaken watching myself and the city attorney told me, yeah, it's hard to watch yourself being assaulted. And then the review journal sought the videotape under the public records law. They were stonewalled. They were told it was going to be too expensive and all sort of stuff. And then strangely, it disappeared. So the video, Mm -hmm. by all accounts, has been destroyed. And so we don't have the actual video footage of this uh, alleged attack. But Victoria Seaman says she then went from that incident straight up to Mayor Carolyn Goodman's office, who is going to be the matriarch in the soap opera, Mm -hmm. who she says then sided with Michelle Fiore and said, you know, hey, it's best if we all just kind of let this go. Meanwhile, if you believe this story, Victoria Seaman is having this conversation with Mayor Goodman while her finger is broken. What I think is interesting about this is that they they were kind of like best friends for a while. I mean, they're both Republicans, both served together as politicians. And then, at least according to the Review Journal, they started to veer apart around June of 2020 after Seaman called Fiori out for some racist comments. And then things have kind of descended into um, some mutual dislike. And um, I think Seaman has called Fiori a bully. So this has really become like the drama here. And I like David's framing of this as in sort of like reality TV terms, because that vibe sort of seems to explain a lot. You know, for instance, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Seaman uh, had the sort of well-publicized surprise visit to the uh, animal shelter, found the conditions appalling and made a big deal about it. Mm-hmm. So, in a, you know, an example of three-dimensional tic-tac-toe or whatever they're playing, Fiore went to the animal shelter this week, clean, helped clean up for which yeah. for which the posting pictures animal shelter, of it. <laughs> yeah the animal shelter took photos and posted an approving uh, social media post saying this is how you take action you know i get presumably to fix a problem as opposed to siemens you know sort of just griping about it and so oh wow so you can see it, it feels a little bit like point counterpoint yeah i have been in city Oof. council meetings where somebody disagrees with Michelle Fiore. And look, I'm going to just make a quick disclaimer. She is a very charming human being. Her constituency seems to love her greatly. Her The people she represents in Ward 6 of the city of Las Vegas mm-hmm. currently. She could be very disarming. She has some very interesting progressive stances on some issues. Not many, but a couple. Mm-hmm. So she likes to present herself mm-hmm. as being kind of balanced. Uh, for example, uh, for example, she's a big supporter of the LGBTQ community, at, at least in, you know, mm-hmm. in the way she presents herself. In theory. And uh, I've seen her, though, in city council meetings where somebody says something she doesn't like, whether it be a city attorney or someone from the audience or whatever. She does not have a filter. She does not hesitate to go off. Oof. You know, we had a bit uh, earlier in the week about Las Vegas being one of the top cursing cities in the country. I think part of that statistic is Michelle Fiore. Uh, I've heard her <laughs> curse on the public record. So, yeah. I, and again, uh, she's running for political office. She's been elected for political office. She does the important work of the city as part of the council. But she is a um, she's a piece of work. 
I want to actually hone in on one piece of this that really stood out to me. I really want to get into the fact that public records are so hard to access in Las Vegas, especially the city of Las Vegas. The cost that they cited the Review Journal for that video footage was $63,680. We actually have a law in the state of Nevada that requires public entities to provide public documents to those who request them at cost and to not include the cost of staffing as overhead because as taxpayers, we're already paying staff salaries. And so this $63,680, how they came up with that figure, A, is what I'd like to know. And then B, who deleted that footage after 60 days without notifying the Review Journal that they were about to delete the footage? Well, part of the lawsuit makes these allegations against the city that they not only didn't protect Victoria Seaman or respond appropriately, but that they allowed that footage to be destroyed. I, I don't know that we have an answer to that question yet. Quick disclaimer, uh, the law firm that I'm most recently affiliated with is a public records law firm, uh, has done a lot of public records work on behalf of the Las Vegas Review Journal. I wasn't involved in, in this particular litigation, so I'm just speaking from outside that, but I needed to make that disclaimer. That said, we have some of the most progressive public record laws in the country. And strangely enough, public entities, including the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, including the coroner's office, continually fight it. And it's usually a losing battle. Uh, and they not only wind up having to give up most of those public records, but then they also have to pay the attorney's fees of the entities that have been suing them for it. It's supposed to be a very streamlined, simp simple, fast process to get those type of public records. So in this particular event, the city was claiming, oh, well, we're going to need all these man hours to review all these various surveillance videos. But in reality, the city knew right away where the alleged incident occurred, which was apparently on the second floor of City Hall. They could have really, really narrowed that and and not had that exorbitant price tag attached. But I think it was, again, a good assumption that it was cited to dissuade the Review Journal from continuing its pursuit of those records, which is definitely a violation, uh, if not the letter, the spirit of the law. Right. But before that even got resolved, they go, oopsie, we automatically delete things after 60 days. And that's what happened here. So that's the city's stance. But Seaman in her lawsuit saying this is all a conspiracy of the city to delete evidence that showed that she was correct. And so we'll see how that plays out in, in court proceedings. Scott, as a journalist, any any thoughts on the deletion of this footage and, and public records in our state? Well, it's I mean, obviously, it's appalling, not surprising. I mean, after 35 years of journalism in this valley, I think I've earned my cynicism when I think when I say that <laughs> I am not at all surprised that somehow it just this hot footage somehow just got dumped into the common run of things that were, were destroyed with all the appropriate winking and nodding. Uh, I'm, I'm not at all surprised. I'm appalled. Because that obviously is evidence of what they already knew had happened. And so it seems like a routine gesture to have saved it. Somebody should have saved it. And another interesting aspect, if there weren't already enough, is an allegation of somebody attacking another person, breaking a finger, pulling hair, etc., would certainly at a minimum qualify for a misdemeanor complaint. There's only a one-year statute of limitations on that. So that has already expired. But if there was a significant enough injury, and here arguably a broken bone would be if it's provably true, that 
you know, somebody is or is not investigating whether or not there are felony charges, which has a longer statute of limitations, but not forever. And so, you know, that's kind of an intriguing part of like why were criminal charges not pursued if these allegations are are valid? A lot of intrigue around it. And of course, uh, you can't separate the the wheat from the politics. And so this will also be interesting to watch and see how it develops. Well, speaking of the politics, Michelle Fiore is running for office. She is running for the state treasurer position. And I can't help but wonder how this might affect her campaign. Yeah, talk about silver platters, right, Scott? Handing <laughs> new ones over to her opponent. Yeah, but, you know, there's this weird dynamic with, with candidates like Fiore and in that sort of vein where the greater their misbehavior, somehow that doesn't seem to translate into them taking a hit. We can all name politicians for whom that that is true. Look no farther than the the previous mayor who any number of gaffes (laughs) telling fourth graders he would take gin to the desert island and so on. (laughs) None of it, none of it, you know, even scratched his Teflon. So while it seems like a gift to Fiore's opponent, it's one among many, for instance, to be honest, that Fiore has handed him. But I don't know that it's going to translate into a lot of lost votes. It'll be interesting to see if Zach Conine, the uh, Democrat opponent to Michelle Fiore for state treasurer, utilizes this in a quick pop up ad as well. Although this is kind of old news, but the the civil lawsuit brings new light and new allegations on it. And while the civil process is a little too slow for, you know, juicy depositions to kind of come out and be part of this election cycle, there's still Mm. a lot more that could be cited in the public record now than there was before. So to be seen. Revelations TKTK to come. Well, I'm going to change Jack and bring us to a slightly more positive, a slightly more fun topic, depending on how you look at it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I actually had my first grasshopper sighting at a a, a grocery store parking lot the other day. Have you seen any grasshoppers showing up lately? I was dive bombed. Luckily, wearing my glasses, it popped right into my face. I'm like, are you kidding me? First, I thought, you know, it was someone who's not a fan of the podcast throwing some sipping balls or something. (laughs) But no, I realized it was a grasshopper and decided to do a little suicide mission into my into my head. Uh, We both fared okay afterward, though. And yeah, my 15 year old granddaughter was about to step into my house the other day. And one of them, a grasshopper, slammed into her neck and she basically jumped out of her skin. She was so startled by it. But otherwise, Grasshopper Apocalypse 22 hasn't uh, really reached out to the suburbs, at least my suburb. I presume like most hipsters, grasshoppers are sort of ambivalent about the suburbs. Um, So I haven't seen very many, but I didn't see that many during um, the 2019 swarm event. Right. Uh, so I, I did read a, a great little piece on 8 News Now uh, by David Denk about the grasshoppers returning to town. So we've had a slightly wetter year, as you've seen, from uh, the rain. So we've got a little bit more greenery, a little bit more for the grasshoppers to eat. But apparently, according to a UNLV entomologist, it will not reach the levels that we saw in 2019. So not to fear, guys. Don't worry. Can breathe, breathe easy. Breathe oh, there easy. were some crazy ass videos from 2019, and I'm imagining there yeah. might be some. You know, grasshoppers love TikTok. They do. Well, they they love the city. I mean, this is what we all heard in the aftermath of 2019 was that they loved the lights of Las Vegas, which is why they came in such swarms. If you are afraid of grasshoppers, you can actually switch out your lights to non ultraviolet lights, apparently, which helps. And one thing I found interesting about the, all of this is. 
I learned that there are 103 species of grasshopper that live in Nevada. And it's like, note to evolution, we only need two or three species. <laughs> Why do we have to have 100 of them? Well, we only need two That's or three fair. podcasts for the city, but, you know. Yeah, yeah, and evolution will pick us. But Yes. Um, <laughs> We only hope. I, for one, would like to just put a word out there. We love a healthy podcast ecosystem. Oh, right, right. Bring on the pods. We love them all. We love them all. Yeah. So I actually, you might remember this, Scott. I wrote an article for for Desert Companion back in 2019 about the grasshoppers. Oh, I do remember. My friend Christy and I uh, went out and actually caught a bunch of those pallid-winged grasshoppers during the swarm. And then we took them over to Kim Foster's house, the, the guest. Oh, no. Yes. You know where this is going, David. I do. Oh, boy. (laughs) Okay, go. Kim Foster, noted food writer. And we cooked them up and we ate them. Made tacos, as I recall. We did. Oh, grasshopper. You know what? I got to say, they were delicious. When she fried them up real crisp, you know those like little bits of meat you get when you're at the bottom of the pan that are all crisped up and toasty and delicious? That's what it reminded me of. Now, now, if only, you know, if only the ancient Egyptians, when they were plagued with with locusts and grasshoppers, had thought to make tacos out of them, that might have changed the course of the Old Testament. Yeah. Where's your God now, Moses? We're eating your grasshoppers (laughs) with tacos. That was my Edward G. Robinson as... um, (laughs) And it was deliriously good, by the way. We need that remake of the... Ten Commandments. Thank you. Well, I'll, I'll just say this. If uh, anyone out there is planning on, on catching the grasshoppers, it's really hard. Like, it was not worth it. We spent at least an hour and came up with, like, 30 grasshoppers. So, I mean, for, for us, at least, with our grasshopper catching skills, the ratio of calories spent to calories earned was not in our favor. Well, I think I think the key here is just standing next to David's head. Yes. And they'll, yeah. all, come, they'll all come attacking. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, let's round it out, you guys. This has been quite a week of news. Uh, I want to know what you're reading or listening to this weekend. Well, I'll jump in here. I've got a couple of interesting books that I'm taking into my weekend. One is one that was published in 2021, but I just heard about it. It's called The Pahrump Project, and it's by a woman named Lisa Carver, who apparently is a big deal in the you know, zine and performance art world. I've never heard of her, but she moved to Pahrump in like 2016. And just, you know, had a a strange, you know, sort of three or four years there that she chronicles in this book. I'm only a few pages into it, but it's pretty interesting so far. And then I have an advanced copy of a book that's coming out in January by a local, a formerly local guy named Juan Martinez, whom you might remember, professor at UNLV. He wrote an epic uh, four-part series about walking across Las Vegas for uh, City Life back when I was the editor of that. So he's got a book coming out, a novel called Extended Stay set in a seedy hotel or seedy motel down in you know central Las Vegas, which is somehow connected to a soul sucking demon type creature who who um, you know steals your memories and so on. And it turns out to be, I'm guessing, judging from the advanced uh, word on it, you know, an allegory about immigration and mm. you know erasure and the role of memory and so on. So and one is a is a fabulous writer. So I'm really looking forward to that. It comes out in January and seems like it's going to have some deep Vegas roots. Cool. What about you, David? Uh, This weekend, we're setting aside a couple hours on Sunday to watch the Nevada Indie sponsored uh, debate 
between Joe Lombardo nice. and Governor Sislak. So we'll see if this uh, prison breakout comes up in topic or not. We're going to do it right. We're gathering with friends. There will be many libations. It's going to be uh, the way we do brunch. So we're all our little group or a bunch of political geeks, and we're going to be gathered around the big screen, drinking our mimosas and shouting for our favorite. Wait, is this a drinking game where you're like, if you hear a trope come up, it's like, drink. You know, there there are probably too many to pick and we would just get blotto. But yeah, I'm guessing crime might be mine that every time someone says okay. crime, even though, you know, not necessarily the purview of the governor. But that said, we'll figure out one way or another and we will figure out how to get drunk. Sure. Well, Dave, yeah. if crime yeah. is your trope, I hope you have a, a really good hangover uh, remedy on standby. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll go a little lighter, like the border or uh, I don't know there what we else. Go. Doing there. <clears throat> your kidney will thank you. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Kidney, kidney uh, says, thanks, Scott. Yeah, I'm right there. I'm watching along with you. So I'm excited. Well, virtually. So I am reading this weekend. Do you remember Wendy Wimmer? She was a, a PhD at UNLV. Great writer. Yeah, amazing writer. Her new book of short stories just came out. It's called Entry Level. I just got it from the writer's block. And I am so excited to sit down with it. I just love short stories. And she read one of them at a recent book festival. And it was delightful. So I'm excited to finally get my hands on the physical copy. Well, and if I can plug myself, she's actually coming to the next book festival on uh, October 22nd. I arranged a panel about the Ooh. art and craft of the short story and, and and she's, she's going to be there talking about that very book. Very nice. Wendy Wimmer has already sold out in pre-sales on Amazon.com. So uh, if you want that book, I would encourage you to like, be like Sonia and buy it from Writer's Block locally. That's right. Indie bookstores. Wendy Wimmer, entry level. All right, that's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Our lead producer is me, Sonia Cho Swanson, and our producer is Layla Muhammad. Our newsletter editor is Scott Dickensheets, and our hosts are David Figler and Vogue Robinson. Music is by OG Moose and All the Kimonos. We record this show on the traditional homelands of the Nubuvi, the Southern Paiute people. If you enjoyed the show, I know you did. You had a lot of fun. Please go tell a friend, send this episode to them and tell them why you love CityCast Las Vegas. And then while you're at it, go ahead and rate the show and leave us a review. You can also subscribe to our brilliant morning newsletter. You can also subscribe to our brilliant morning newsletter at our website in the show notes. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Take care, y'all. Maybe living city center, I get a little bit more. And now I can't stop but trying to come up with the perfect portmanteau of it. Grasshopolis? <laughs> or grasshopocalypse? Grasshopocalypse? Hopperpocalypse, I think. Hopperpalooza. <laughs> <laughs> there Better. we go. Life is grasshopper. <laughs>